0: The Circle, produced by Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board. This is Tribal Sovereignty. It's our children's future. It's what our ancestors and our elders fought for. It's what we continue to fight for today, so that our people may live. This is The Circle, brought to you by the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board and the Oyate Health Center. Once again, I'm Ray Rowland, your Community Engagement Coordinator, along with our Communications Director, Brandon Ecofee. And today we got ourselves a, a special show. We have Nick Hill from the Great Plains Tribal Epidemiology Center. He's kind of giving us a COVID-19 update, uh, a greatly needed update, I think, as of right now. Brian, uh, you want to kind of introduce Nick? Sure.
1: Uh, I think Nick can introduce some more <laughs> of himself in a second, but we've had him on the show before. He's the lead epidemiologist here at the Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Tribal Leaders Health Board. And, you know, within the Tribal Leaders Health Board, we have the Great Plains Tribal Epidemiology Center, one of 12 tribal epidemiology centers in the United States. You know, so it's a wonderful resource to have. Nick has had a long history of dealing with pandemics and, you know, even local outbreaks of other stuff. And, you know, he's a you know one of the top notch people in this industry, in this field. So, you know, we're gonna tap his brain today to talk about COVID, talk about Omicron, Delta, state of where we're at here now and, and, you know, just kind of an overview of, of what we're seeing. Um, welcome, Nick.
2: Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Ray, and uh, thanks to all the listeners today. Pleasure to be here with you guys. So earlier, you know,
1: when I got into work today, you know, I was kind of reaching out to some of the family, you know, what questions do you have about, about you know, COVID and, and what's happening locally and nationally, and I, I reached out to Davion, Provost, um, he's one of our epi people who who crunches the data, looks at the data analyzes it and distributes it to the community here and and Davion, you know, I said, what is, what's the national rate for COVID? And there's some interesting, you know, between races and interesting things, you know, for um, cases per 100,000, Alaska Indian, American Indian, Alaska Natives nationally, it's 142.4 per 100K for white people 176.5 per 100,000 for asian 203.8 per 100,000 and for african americans 324.2 per 100,000 and you know when you look at the numbers you're like oh man you know we're doing you know really good our 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 per 100,000 rate is is way lower than everyone else obviously it's still higher than it should be but you know I I don't know if that points to, you know, our rurality or of our communities and maybe even, you know, the inability to get testing or the reporting process um, or it could be, you know, connected to some of the proactive work that tribal governments and, you know, local health care, tribal health clinics have done to, you know, mitigate this. But um, Nick, I guess you hear those numbers. Um, from an epic
2: view, you know. What do you think's going on there? Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Well, I really don't like to be the voice of warning, but I have to do it. Um, we've seen this before. We've been here before. The Delta variant, initially, it hit the populated areas of the United States. You know, the population centers. There's lower social distance, and then it worked its way into the rural communities. And at that time. Um, you know, the focus was coming off in the national picture because in the populated areas it was coming down, but it was just actually gearing up the delta wave. This was back in, you know, October, November. And then ultimately what shook out is American Indians were higher in case rates, both in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths with that delta wave. And if we look at the past to kind of help inform the present and the future, which I think we have to do, American Indian populations are very well aware of this. We really need to examine what's happened so we can be informed of what's coming and plan for what's happening now. The Omicron is doing the same. It's actually hitting the population areas. Right now in New York City, it's estimated that if, based on one expert's estimations, that possibly up to 10% of the entire population would test positive be shedding virus right now. We don't have that kind of uh, positivity or we don't have that kind of um, you know ca- that kind of infection rate yet in the in the Great Plains area, but it's coming and we probably will. I don't see that we won't looking at what happened with Delta and our American Indian populations, our tribal communities need to take warning and take action because it, it is definitely coming and it will have a great
1: impact unfortunately. So, you know, I've heard some people say that, you know, maybe we're just now getting Delta, you know, maybe Omicron isn't here. Is there any kind of you know evidence out there to kind of look at which wave of of COVID we're dealing with right now?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So we are dealing with the Omicron. It's replacing Delta. We were actually coming down from Delta pretty nicely the, uh, into December. Um, but then, um, what ended up happening is, uh, unbeknownst to us across the world in uh, South Africa, November 9th, there was a specimen that tested positive for this strange new variant called Omicron. And it wasn't even known. They actually tested it later. Uh, It wasn't reported until November 24th by the World Health Organization when they actually solidly knew that it existed and kind of, you know, uh oh, we have a warning here. And then, um, just following that through in Norway, there was that Oslo holiday party where there were just a couple travelers from South Africa. And what happened was they infected the majority of everyone attending that party in a restaurant, including restaurant workers that weren't even anywhere close in proximity to those that were at that cl- closed party. Uh, so it really is showing us that Omicron is widespread. It's taken over almost everywhere in the world, with with the exception of a few countries. And in the United States, and particularly for more importance for us, for our purposes, in our Great Plains area, based upon the isolates that are being tested, they take a look. What is the variant? It's Omicron, it's Omicron, it's Omicron. The majority of everything right now is Omicron. We're not seeing much of Delta anymore. But um, it's taken a little bit longer for that to happen in the rural parts of the United States, including our central part of the United States compared to, you know, where Omicron first took off, you know, especially in New York city and, and then on from there.
1: You know, we came, you know, in, in the fall, you know, there's a big question of, you know, are we going back to in-person learning and the schools came back and and we have a lot of sports going, you know, is it, uh, is it possible to distinguish between, you know, the, you know, how contagious Omicron was and it was going to spend spread anyway into you know the activities that we as a society kind of took on you know is that a combination of things or you know you think the spread would have taken place no matter what well the spread
2: will take place no matter what we've always tried to say what we need to do is suppress the rate of that transmission so we don't overwhelm our health care but getting back to like sports and schools and so forth in the news this morning you can look and see Los Angeles has just been, you know, hit later than New York City, but they've had 65,000 students and staff sick today. Um, that was the report. Uh, we know that children transmission drives community transmission of COVID, so the rates across the, you know, country, but also in our local jurisdictions, local areas, are driven by that transmission that happens in children, and um, then it progresses up and into the older decades of the ages amongst our you know, communities and tribal communities, especially. So of course we know this with regard to multi-generational households, um, and just the nature of lots of movement, um, in between households and so forth we know that the transmission can, can happen quickly, can happen very quickly.
1: So, so what are we looking at time-wise, you know, when we look at, you know, usually we're a few weeks behind the East Coast, or you know, what are we looking at for maybe like a peak, and what does that, that peak look like with Omicron?
2: Right, so all I can say about this is, I don't know for sure. What I can tell you is that, based on when Omicron starts getting going, it's kind of, there's a critical mass that needs to form first, and then boom, it spreads like wildfire in dry area land. And what happens with New York City, and looking at them in particular because, you know, for the rest of the country is that it's taken about 30 days for them to reach what seems to be like a peak. So I would say based upon what happened with Delta, it could be a little bit longer. We might not be able to, you know, say boom, 30 days is what we need to withstand and then we're going to hit our peak just because of the little enhanced social distancing by nature of rural communities, rural areas that is. Um, we might be a little bit longer out there. So, you know, we, since we've been going, you know, we probably will peak in January at some point, end of January or early parts of early February, but it's kind of hard to say. And I've said this before. Once you see transmission occurring in a populated area and you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in a rural area, rural areas can take matters, you know, seriously, they can take better control efforts. Uh, but sometimes that can actually then prolong the peak. It can take longer to reach it, and it can be a little bit longer before it actually goes away entirely.
1: So, you know, when we know that this peak is coming and we know there's gonna be a rise in cases, what is the, you know, when we look at hospital capacity and the impact that, that this new variant has on the infrastructure, what, what it can handle, is there, because it's less, I guess, you know, are you're less likely to die from it, is it having a uh, lower impact on hospitals? Are hospitals still kind of looking at being overwhelmed during this peak?
2: Absolutely. Great question. So relevant. Uh, Hospitals are getting overwhelmed right now, completely and entirely. We're starting to see the larger hospital systems, just not able to take any more patients. And so, um, you know, there is no transferring of patients up in many jurisdictions right now. That means, it's time to be careful. Don't fall on la- you know, don't fall when you're taking uh, lights down or doing tasks around the house from a ladder. Be you know, don't have a heart attack. My goodness, this I've never as an epidemiologist gotten to the point where I've been so concerned about our critical infrastructure of caring for people. Not just healthcare either. But we're seeing people, you know, are sick, they can't go to work, so things are happening with transit, with shipping, with infrastructure and things like this. I don't think we need to go out all out in um, panic mode, but I'm very concerned. I'm very concerned. This is going to have impacts on infrastructure. We won't probably be able to get the things that we think or need that we have had in the past. I think it's uh, very important we realize that it's just gonna get worse in the healthcare sittings as well. We also have workforce that has left in large numbers, um, healthcare workers are exhausted, just absolutely exhausted, and many that have been longtime career workers are leaving the field, and just they are saddened, they are exhausted, they are angry. In some cases, people are not getting vaccinated um, or boosted, and that's the, primarily those that they see that are in great grave danger and need of critical care and intensive care units, for example. So if you know someone who's a frontline healthcare worker, maybe it's time to drop them off a meal, you know, help them out a little bit, take the kids, let them have some adult time with, you know, someone special, they need some help in all areas of their life. But, you know, we need to really bolster them because if you need care right now, um, and increasingly through this month and into February, it might not be possible to get it. Um, It's gonna get bad. It's really gonna get bad, Brandon. We need people to get vaccinated and boosted to help
1: uh, prevent this. Yeah, it's, it's look, you know I have, you know people, you know close relatives who work in, you know the urgent care Oyate, you know that's essentially, you know without it, without having inpatient care there, you know it's essentially like a, it become like a COVID screening type thing. You know people with. For just for the last two years, you know, everything a life or death encounter, you know, almost yeah. to the point, you know, you're thinking like police officers, you know, they always make that, you know, idea, you know, we pull someone over, we're always stressed, you know, whatever. But, you know, you think about yeah. with healthcare workers that every single encounter you have with a patient could be life threatening and the exhaustion that comes with that is, you know, so props to our healthcare workers at Iliate, at our local IHS facilities who've been enduring this process this whole time. But, you know i know you're not an economist but we think about our let's just keep it kind of more in the epi scene what about for like ppe so mm-hmm. if there's gonna is there going to be an interruption in supplies for ppe for testing we're already looking at a national shortage in testing yep. what does that situation look like
2: right it's uh critical we're we're critically low um there were 1.4 million cases reported yesterday across the united states according to the new york times this is only the tip of the iceberg because of testing shortages. We're not able to test everybody that's sick. This is such a small, uh, it's such an underestimation of, of the actual number of cases. Um, you know, we're at three times the level that we had last year at this time when we reached the peak number of cases. Uh, we're at 120,000 hospitalizations, active hospitalizations across the United States. Uh, soon we're going to be pushing beyond the peak that we saw last year of 128,000 hospitalizations. So if you take last year and figure out, you know, shortages that we had in PPE and everything, really, um, and now expand that. We've done some planning. There's been lots of scale up, but um, it's just not able to meet the demand and will not be able to meet the demand Um, that is needed to be able to accurately diagnose and um, in, in provide enough PPE. Um, I, I'm con- concerned about that as well. Um, really healthcare workers should be having full access to N95 or KN95 masks at this time. And part of our whole global strategy should have been to ensure that we had sufficient supplies to protect them. So they're not getting sick. There's been estimates of 40% of the healthcare workforce in some hospitals in New York city out because they're sick. Yeah. If you remove just one, that one person may have been caring for up to three or four patients, and you just remove one, you're reducing that capacity to care for patients. That's why I keep coming back to this issue of our healthcare system is just about ready to be um, overwhelmed to the point where I'm seriously concerned about people that need care that won't be able to get care. It will be rationed, there'll be some problems here. And it's gonna be for perhaps a short period of time, over six weeks or so perhaps, but it's gonna be bad over the next four to six weeks for sure.
1: You know, and you know, I think about, like I finally started going back into the gym and you know, and feeling comfortable in there again, you know, like I wipe off the bar and I try to stay away from people in there, but. You know, are we looking at a point where it's like, you know, maybe we should chill out for the next Mm. six weeks, put off that summer body and those summer PRs for (laughs) for a bit, you know, just to be patient? That's
2: not a bad idea, Brandon. Um, Mm. For the benefit of others, it's not a bad idea. The number one thing is if you have any signs or symptoms of illness, stay home. Any signs of symptoms. Don't say, well, it's just a minor cold. I just got a, you know, scratchy throat or something like that. Uh, we may not have testing for you, but guess what? It's likely Omicron. It's very likely that you're transmissible. I will say, there's also advances in flu, in RSV, other enteroviruses, and so forth. Um, these are all combined together, going to per- per, you know create the perfect storm and um, you know, the number one strategy we've, we've known this forever. If you're sick, stay home, don't push through, you know, don't expose other people, especially in group settings. I mean, if, you know, that's, that's especially the area we want to be very cognizant about, very careful about.
1: No, So I saw you know, an internal NFL study and, you know, someone might've been messing with the data or tweaking it or whatever, but they were saying that, you know, if you're non-symptomatic, that the likelihood of you spreading something is very low. Do um, you, you have any knowledge of that type of thing? Or?
2: It's one of those um, yes for some, no for others mm. issue. Um, yeah, If you're asymptomatic, most people are not transmitting. But what we do know about Omicron is it does cause these asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic people that can shed and infect other people more so than previous Delta, original strain, and so forth. That's why it's spreading like wildfire. People don't know they're spreading. The other thing is, and this has to be said very clearly too, is people with Omicron can transmit it two days, maybe even three days before they even show symptoms, if they get symptoms. Mm. And that's where they maximally shed. By the time they get symptoms, that virus level is already coming down. That's what's different than previous variants. And that's why this is such a uphill climb and this is really hard to control. I've never seen in public health a disease like this where we've just had so little tools in the toolbox. The number one thing is we just need to prevent that severe disease. We need to get people shots and arms boosted. Um, you know, if you get sick and you're getting w- worse than mildly sick and concerned that, you know, this may be getting severe, there are therapeutics we need to ensure people have access to, and that goes back to the healthcare workers, you know, infrastructure issue we need to make sure we're able to bolster that healthcare infrastructure. So you get really sick, you can get something that will prevent you from being either hospitalized or succumbing, dying from this Omicron. You
1: know, what's kind of scary, you know, I think about overwhelming the healthcare system. We, we've obviously developed treatments and, mm-hmm. you know, ways of dealing with COVID. But with the infrastructure being overwhelmed you know some of those those therapies may not be accessible you know we look at like what the Regeneron is that i don't know if that's That's the monoclonal antibodies if that's the same thing
2: exactly it is
1: what's the availability of those look like and what have we learned in like the last couple years about what works to fight this
2: yes the availability is limited Um, first of all going back to what you said about um, people getting access to it a lot of people don't even know it's theirs I've, I've known a few family friends that, you know, learning about how sick they're suddenly getting. It. So what makes you get the Regeneron? They're like, we Regener what? What is this? What is this monoclonal antibody? They, it's been in the news, but people filter, you know, they don't see it. They don't understand. It's there. Um, yes, it's available. Yes, it can be given to people who are high risk and been exposed and people who um, are getting severely sick and needs to be taken advantage of that. And there are more, there's also antivirals. So there's a difference between a monoclonal antibody and antiviral. Monoclonal antibody, which you said there, Brandon, is Regeneron, basically is giving you antibodies that you don't have, or they're not high enough level. They're there, they can be actually infused through the infusion, and a day or two later, if if given early enough, you can walk away feeling pretty good. Um, The antivirals can also be given, and those can be infused But they can also be now orally available. But those that are orally available are such limited supply. We just can't really rely on those. But certainly talk to your doctor, your medical provider. If you're getting severely sick or feeling severely sick, don't wait. Early is better.
1: So when we say antiviral, Mm -hmm. are we talking ivermectin? You know, it, saying, yeah, you know that's the first thing that people are going to be. Okay. Next question.
2: Ivermectin does not work. It does no. not See do the again, job. Man. Ivermectin does not do the job. There's been no evidence, and there's been studies, but there's been no evidence, epidemiologically or in a human population or in a controlled setting or you know otherwise, that shows that this is an effective treatment. Period.
1: What well, you know, what I heard about this was the way that that kind of skewed everything was that. Ivermectin was was initially given in communities where there was a lot of like stomach, um, what do they call like you know like, like almost like worms? You know there were some mm-hmm. some populations on in the world who who had stomach. Um, what was what's the term for it? Uh, stomach? Well, um,
2: uh, like parasites. Yeah, parasites yeah, in their body. Sorry about that. Yeah.
1: And yeah. so when they were given ivermectin as a as a proposed treatment for COVID, it cleared up their you know, those issues, yep. which automatically yep. made them more healthy. So it looked like it was fighting COVID, but it really, really wasn't. So, you know, ivermectin ain't working out there. So anyone who's, who's doing that.
0: I mean, it could severely damage your immune system is what I've been hearing. Well,
1: and
2: here's the thing. Um, what can happen is it's cheap, easily available. It's easy to understand. It's been on the market a long time. People think it's safe. Not always is it safe for everyone though. It could not be safe for some people. Um, so there's the low barrier of acceptance, right? I mean, and this whole idea of repurposing drugs is not a new concept. The idea of, you know, well, we don't have anything in the toolbox right now, early in the pandemic. That was the big emphasis is trying to find another drug that already is cheap, available. It's on the market everywhere. We can just use it and it will help people. And uh, in some places, in some ways that's been successful for other diseases. Uh, finding those. It's also a base by which, you know, you can take a medicine and say, oh, it just needs to be changed a little bit. And here we go. Now it's effective. Ivermectin is in the history of use for very specific parasitic infections and things like this that does not affect, it does not help COVID. What you will hear is a lot of anecdotes. You'll hear people say, well, I've been treating people with Ivermectin and none of them have gone to the hospital. Mm. Well, how many prov- people have that provider, you know, or that practitioner have has seen have they seen the 1.4 million that are currently sick in across the United States um, you know and and the other thing too is and I I don't want to be disparaging I, I just want to make clear people don't rely on something that's unproven But um, I don't want to be disparaging. I mean, people are trying to care, you know, and and well-intentioned people can, I have too in the past. I've made wrong recommendations. I've made wrong decisions. And, And, you know, we need to stand up and then say we've done these things that were not right and we admit it. And let's use what really works, okay? What really works, number one, before a person ever gets sick, be vaccinated because that's prevention that's before the fact once you get sick we are already got a, a strike against us now all of a sudden okay so now we have to look at what works monoclonal antibodies yes antivirals yes and by the way the antivirals are different because essentially what they'll do is disrupt the virus as it's trying to replicate in the body that's what an antiviral does it's different than a monoclonal antibody that you know, gives the antibodies. You know, we all know what antibodies do. to get your immune system to hyperdrive to clear the virus. So, yeah.
1: What about for, you know, just kind of preparing your immune system to take it on? You know, like I take a daily, you know, I had a mm-hmm. PA recommend that we take quercetin. I think it's called like the immunobooster. Um, you know, what about things like it's that? Are the... we?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What will you end up finding is... Um, if you take a population and you try to make them really healthy, it doesn't necessarily seem to reduce the risks of hospitalization death. But if you measure people that, who are hospitalized, that's where you'll suddenly start to see a little bit of a signal. They're low on vitamin D, they have low electrolytes, maybe potassium, things like this. So what would I say? I would say get your electrolytes, eat properly, get good protein, you know, your you know, carbs and fats in the right amount. Uh, but electrolytes are really important so what i'll do is i'll look for something like pedialyte or gatorade or you know i even make my own i buy this uh you know this uh, less salt formulation it has potassium chloride in it you know that sort of thing and you know you don't just douse everything but you know you look online and find out what's the recipe for gatorade and you make it you know it's Mm -hmm. cheap it's available that way in case stores or stocks aren't available or you can't get to the store or something like that you get that little shaker boy you could make yourself thousands of <laughs> gatorade bottles know. you know with uh, a low uh, um, a low uh, sugar sweetener especially important for people with diabetes you know manage your diabetes well take care of yourself take care of yourself mental health make sure you're getting out for some walks when you can boy this weather's been great lately get outside walk a mile walk if you're healthy enough you're healthy enough walk five you know be active that also like you said brandon getting in the gym whatever exercise you can get try to do it without outdoors is best number one um otherwise in low populated settings we sure wear your mask that sort of thing
1: you know some of the things that you know you know you try to live with you know the pandemic and so i've i've been going to the gym myself you know whenever, you know, during non peak times. You know, mm-hmm. when there's a time I can get, excellent get myself a squat rack without people coming up and visiting and yeah. standing within two feet of you like people like to do in the gym, you know, things like that. Yeah. Wipe off your equipment, wear masks whenever mm-hmm. you know, whenever you can. Um you know I one thing I wanted to ask you about early on where you we looked at the impact of resveratrol on, you know, mm-hmm. like with SARS, you yep. know, has there been any evidence that that impacts treatment for, for COVID?
2: You know, when we didn't have anything in the toolbox, I was looking at some early, very early studies, lab studies, and in um, seeing with uh, not SARS-CoV-1, but with uh, MERS, mm. that there was some antiviral possible activity with re, uh, resveratrol uh, in MERS in, 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 very specific data and setting. Um, but I don't think there's been anything to show conclusively that it helps. Yeah.
1: Maybe that was an anti-inflammatory effect yeah, or, you know, yeah. something like that. That
2: It's definitely an anti-oxidant. Um, uh, mm. So, uh, you know, that's that's the rave that's everybody's been talking about antioxidants. You know, vitamin C is an antioxidant. A lot of things scavenge free radicals. Though. What does that mean? metabolic process when you're fighting a disease or when you have cancer or just just living you know your cells produce these little you know rati- they call them free radicals that damage cells you know and, yeah
1: like they're malfunctioning you know they're yeah. supposed to enter the cell and they didn't enter and they kicked out into your exactly and they can turn into anything like cancer or you know something like that yeah. so reducing those you know by you know eating the right foods and staying away from foods is important
2: high-oxidant foods are fruits and vegetables Right there. If you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, you're getting your steady supply of antioxidants. Plus, you're getting all the fiber that reduces risk of colon cancer. So you're getting all kinds of various types of uh, vitamins, minerals, and other things that are research is just showing, and you know that is that is healthy. It's just healthy. We have always said eat your fruits and vegetables. Grandma used to say that. Her grandma used to say that probably. Um, but we're seeing in the science more and more. It's very important to get your fruits and vegetables fresh is great. Wash them if, you know, you can, uh, reduce the risk of any, you know, contaminant on them and so forth, because some contaminants have, uh, some fruits and vegetables are known to have some contaminants on them.
1: Yeah. The only reason I know that about the, the free radicals was remember Aubrey de Grey? the anti-aging whiz guy with the beard but he drinks all the time (laughs) i read his book one time and that's the only time only cellular biology that i got to to register with but um you know one other question you know my mom asked me to ask you this question is why are some people you know, who are, get both vaccines, they get boosted, and they still are, you know, they were a breakthrough case the first time, and then they're getting it the second time. Why is it for some people one way and other people the other way?
2: Some people just uh, don't get the luck of the draw, you know. Their uh, immune system just might be a little hampered. Um, Advancing age is another factor there. You know, when we look at those breakthrough infections, Um, where you see them is especially in those over 65 years of age. Once you get up to 80 years of age, it's a lot, lot higher. Um, I'm seeing breakthrough infections to the extent of, um, you know, about uh, in North Dakota, for example, they'll report it. You can go on their website and look at cases, hospitalizations and deaths and those breakthrough infections. And they're based on whether they've been vaccinated fully vaccinated or unvaccinated. What we know is those who get vaccinated are much 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 more likely to not succumb to this not die and not be hospitalized but you do have the people you know it's just the we might say the luck of the draw we might say you know the moment they were conceived their you know immune system as it was you know getting uh established it, it's missing a factor it's missing something you know what i mean it's just some people just unfortunately have the extra burden of getting sick a lot or getting sick from this disease, maybe not even from others, but for whatever reason, and it's for that reason we need to care for people that are in our families, in our communities. How can we do that? We do all the things we've been talking about. Vaccination is number one. I would have to say, don't get vaccinated for yourself, Vaccinate for other people. You know, we got to turn that narrative around. We don't get vaccinated for ourselves. We usually keep ourselves pretty healthy, right? I mean, we usually think of ourselves being pretty healthy. We'll make it through, we'll be fine. Okay, but what about when you get that real mild infection and you're visiting great-grandma, you know, or a child that you've just visited with goes to visit their great-grandma. You don't even see that's invisible, but you were part of that factor. What can you do to prevent this? Well, Omicron is tough. It's very hard overall broadly, not enough, but getting vaccinated is one way you can care for other people. And that's what this is about in public health. It's not about getting vaccinated because we just got to remove our individual fear. It's so we can keep our community population, our people, families, people we love and care for all those who are susceptible. Like we just talked about well, and that's what it's all about.
0: All right, Ray, got anything else
1: for, for Mr. Hill?
0: No, I mean, just other than, like you said, we need our people to get vaccinated. So if you haven't been vaccinated and need to be vaccinated, reach out to your local IHS, uh, OHC. We have the uh, vaccination clinic located at 725 North La Crosse Street in Rapid City. Uh, we're available Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Give them a call, 605 5059. Uh, but thank you, Nick, for being here with us. Um, you know, need, much needed information, and hopefully we can try to get these numbers down as we go along. But thanks again, Nick, for all thank you do. Thank you. And once again, this has been The Circle brought to you by the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board and the Oyate Health Center. We are here on Keeley Radio twice a week, uh, Tuesdays at 5 p.m., Fridays at 12 p.m. If there's any information, updates, news that you want to hear, contact us here at 605-721-1922. Uh, You know, We'll try to get out any information that you want to hear, any sort of updates, uh, all those kinds of things. So please uh, reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So again, this is The Circle right here on Keeley Radio. COVID-19 vaccines are currently available across the Great Plains area. These vaccines are safe and effective tools for stopping the spread of COVID-19. The vaccines work by giving our immune systems instructions for how to fight off infections. They do not contain the virus that causes COVID-19. Short-term side effects like soreness at the injection site, fever, headache, muscle pain, or fatigue are common after receiving the vaccine. Millions of people around the world, including thousands of native health workers and elders, have been vaccinated safely. Vaccines are the safest way to protect our relatives during this ongoing pandemic. The more people get the vaccine, the more lives we can save in our communities. Call your health care provider or tribal health department to learn more about when and where you can receive your vaccine. Or go to gptchb.org for more information. This message was brought to you by the Great Plains Tribal Leaders Health Board so that the people may live.